Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joining today, she's a romance author, sex advice expert, and mental health advocate. It's Liv Arnold. How are you doing today, Liv? I'm great, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what did you like doing growing up? I'm from Melbourne, Australia. And while I was growing up, I was actually a massive bookworm. So it came to the point where when I was younger, I would my parents would tell me to go to sleep and I would just be reading with a torchlight on and I would be borrowing so many books from the library. So at one point, my parents tried to ban me from reading because I wasn't doing anything else. I love how they were trying to ban you while most kids were trying to get to, their parents were making them have to read. So yeah, it's the complete opposite. I know. My parents said, you should maybe go outside or something or at least do your homework. Was there a specific like genre that you enjoyed reading? Uh, when I was younger, I read all of Enid Blyton's books and I've got two younger brothers. So I used to read them out loud to my brothers before going to bed and it sort of took you to another world. And that's where my love of reading and writing came from. Um, authors that make you go to another place. They, it's like almost magical and um, yeah, just like, it's just, I was completely blown away by books when I was younger. You talked about it took you to a different place. Was it a way for you to escape something that was going on in your childhood and things like that? Yeah, it it was a way to escape. I was a very anxious child and I was so introverted and shy. I barely said a word in class and I... Well, when thinking about it now, I did always have anxiety. So back... Um, even when I was five or six, I would be worrying until all hours of the night about really stupid things that would never happen. But my thoughts would escalate from one worst case scenario to another until the sun came up and the alarm went off to go to school. And that probably wasn't normal, especially for someone Mm -hmm. that age to be worrying about such insignificant things. And I didn't know it was anxiety at the time. So uh, yeah, books were my escape to get, get out of my head for a bit. You talked about being like shy. Was it hard to like share the anxiety and what you were feeling going through with like family members or friends that you may have? Yeah, I would say I'm still an introverted person. Um, and I was actually never diagnosed with anxiety until 2016 because I didn't really fully click that it was a thing. Um, in a lot of Asian families, they don't really believe in mental health or or anything similar along those lines so it, it was hard to share that sort of thing and um and before I got diagnosed I did know that I excessively worried but I didn't necessarily know that it was anxiety so yeah it, it was difficult to share I think a lot of people can relate with not like getting a diagnosed because I think there's a lot of people out there that they go through anxiety, but it's caused from like different things of stress or worrying about things. And I think when someone says, oh, you're diagnosed with it, I think a lot of people or the public take it and make it broader than what it should be. And I think when they really understand what that individual is going through, they might see 
okay, we understand what they're going through and they take avenues to kind of help make it less worrying for them or lower the stress or lower the anxiety for that individual. Yeah, I I think they do. And it's more talked about now having mental health challenges, which is why I I put um, real life challenges like depression or PTSD into the characters of my books. And just so that people would feel that they're not as alone or it is normal to talk about it so openly. When you were growing up, did you ever find other avenues of passions or skills that you had in you? Uh, So I always enjoyed writing short stories when I was younger. Um, It was my favourite thing to do in class. And, well, I think um, I was never good at sports, really, so that (laughs) definitely wasn't it. So, um, and, yeah, so it was always more the creative sides. Um, Those were my passions and my skill sets. And I only had a very small group of friends when I was, a child like maybe two or three and I, I, that that was enough and so I, I wasn't the most like popular person in school or, or anything like that and um like that was going to parties every single week but I did enjoy that creative side. When you got the opportunity in classes to write and mm-hmm. kind of like I know I remember classes where we had to create short mm-hmm. stories and stuff and I think you see a lot of creativity in every student. Yes. Was that like exciting moment because you got to kind of shine and kind of really show teachers like I enjoy doing this and maybe you never know this could lead into a career path yeah so I I was actually quite surprised because I had a lot of positive feedback from teachers saying I had a very creative flair when it came to writing and and it was always the written work that my creative side was whenever there was other creative subjects like arts and anything visual I have no eye for something like that so it it was um yeah it it was reassuring even from one teacher um I think I was in grade five she bullied me throughout the whole year and even my classmates noticed it and she even said to me one time you've got a really good flair of storytelling that actually that makes people laugh and I, I was surprised that I got that feedback from her because it was like almost excessive bullying throughout the whole year. (laughs) Do you think that teacher could have caused you to kind of lose that passion because of the bullying aspect? Um, I don't think, but she did give positive feedback about my writing, but having that bullying aspect, um, at first I sort of thought it was just my imagination. Like, oh, she's just like this with everyone. But then when other classmates mentioned it, saying she really singles you out out of everyone, um, it did make me crawl into my shell more, especially for um, an authority figure that's meant to support all students um, to be able to do that. And I, I never complained about it to even my parents or family or another teacher because um, I think at that time I just didn't really know what to do because she was that like in position of power. As you're getting older, sometimes we're asked that fun dream job question. What was that dream job for you? And then what path did you take leading to university? Well, 
I think my parents really hoped I would become a doctor. <laughs> so, and that never happened. And, um, and, and, and that would be a rewarding profession, being able to be in that position where you could help people's health and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, I, I actually was pretty lost with what I wanted to do when I was growing up. I did, a part of me always did want to become an author, but the practical reason was thinking I'll, I'll never make any money out of that or it's very difficult to get published. Um, so I, I didn't really have a clear path with what I wanted to do. And so when I went to uni, I did the most generic course possible. I did arts and commerce, which is pretty much a course for people that doesn't know what else to do. What were you hoping to get out of it? Um, and leading into a job? Were you still tr- writing on the side to still fulfill that passion that you still had for it? Um, yeah, I, I wasn't really writing on the side while I was at uni um, because I didn't think it was a possible career path or a dream. Um, so arts and commerce, since it was such a broad, broad course, um, it was more to be like be able to have a broader selection of career paths and industries. So after when I finished uni, I went to work at a big four bank in um, compliance and risk, which sounds very dry. And um, <laughs> so, yes, I, I worked in a big four bank. And then um, th- there was one day that my mom said, you, you always liked writing. And this was when I had barely written anything in years or years since school. And, and she said, that one of her friends recommended a creative short writing course that's um, that is outside work hours. So it is designed for full-time people and it's um, a few hours a week after work hours that goes for about 10 weeks. And she said, how about you give this a go? This won't affect any income. So I looked into it and yeah, and I was thinking, yeah, that, that's probably a good idea. Like to have this other creative outlet compared to, when I was at the Big Four Bank, I was writing policy updates, <laughs> so it was quite boring. And um, so the first short writing course I did was writing for children's and and young adults, and it just happened that I ended up doing erotic romance instead. When you got when you started writing erotic novels. Hmm. Was it coming from an introvert side where you're really now getting very detailed in a certain area did it kind of like show a new personality in you writing that type of novel yeah uh, yeah it it was good um because sexuality is a part of human nature so it uh, since I am so um, introverted it is good to be able to explore that side and not to be ashamed. And when I was writing these scenes and thinking about from the character's point of view, and I was also thinking about what readers would feel while reading it. Um, so it it is important to be able to discuss openly and health, healthily um, what your desires are and what you really want. And because it is human nature, and but people um, think of it as taboo when um even if they're reading a scene, a sex scene about it, people still think of it as taboo. And there's a lot of stereotypes with that sort of thing because I get a lot of questions saying, have you done this in real life? When people don't ask maybe a thriller writer, have you killed someone in real life? So yeah. there is that, there is that, um, 
misconceptions there. You're so right about that because yeah. I think it's more not, I guess it depends on the person, but when yeah. you're writing about, well, even with movies and TV shows, like the writers writing a love scene or something, you're, you're thinking, where did they get this inspiration from? Like what caused yeah. them to do this kind of thing? Or, I mean, even when you think of the movie 50 Shades of Grey, I mean, how yes. all that stuff. And you're thinking, did the director or the writer of that do exactly all those things? Was there anything in these books that you kind of took from your own personal experience or what you were going through personally and implemented in there? You kind of talked about at the beginning that you were, you Mm -hmm. kind of inputted some stuff, but not everything was completely you. Yeah. So in my novel, Stepping Stone, um, the main male character has PTSD from being serving in the army and I got inspiration from a friend who served in Afghanistan and he told me about the signs to look out for for PTSD and I think a lot of people still feel like it's taboo to talk about mental health challenges especially men because they're more likely to commit suicide and um, they're, they're less likely to ask for help or support or share what they're going through um, but there are a lot of parts of me in the stories um some things had happened in real life I think sometimes life can be stranger than fiction um mm-hmm. in one of my novels etched in stone she's very socially awkward which I brought that aspect of me into that story and um there was one scene that pretty much happened to me um one time I got into a car accident because I was looking at a billboard of a hamburger so I got distracted and um and I hit someone at the front um at the front of me and since with her the other person's car she couldn't drive it anymore so I called the police for traffic control and as soon as the police came they gave me a fine for reckless driving so I called the cops on myself and I um and I wrote that into a scene and I was thinking, oh, that's pretty a unique situation because hardly anyone calls the police on themselves. Yeah. Have you, when people are reading your books, have they ever reached out to you and say, I've gone through something like that or this scene or this moment kind of has a reflection of what I've been going through? Yeah. So um, especially with the book Stepping Stone, it does have... Um, mental health challenges with the male character and I have had people reach out saying they recognize themselves in that character whether it's a male or female reader they've said something about it or they've said they recognize this in one someone they know whether a friend or a family member Um, also the main character Jenna in Stepping Stone she's exploring her sexuality she's trying to figure out what she really wants um, in in a partner and and her, her desires. So pe- people have reached out and said that it is completely normal to do that and, and to be able to have that open discussions with your partner without feeling ashamed that it's a bit weird or a- anything like that. But, yeah, but the ones that re- I really enjoy reading the most um, about reviews, some readers have said that my book has taken their minds off their problems for a few hours and and that those are the reviews that means the most to me because that's what 
my love of reading came from when I was younger. I think that's amazing to hear that you have mm-hmm. those fans that are really kind mm-hmm. of intrigued by what you're writing and it kind of gets them excited for what's next to come. Like yes. that next story. You mentioned that anxiety played a big part growing up during this time when you are writing these books, how was going, how was the anxiety for you? Were you kind of using the writing these books as therapy in a way? Yes. Yeah. So I've been to cognitive behavior therapy um, before and I found it didn't do that much. Um, So I'm currently on low van, a low dosage anxiety medication which I take daily and I've always found that in um, something like writing it's better than all of that because it it makes me more concentrate on the here and now with fictional characters mm-hmm. um, and a fictional world so it it does take my mind off that things and and as I get older I've found other avenues to help with anxiety like um like I've been doing the Wim Hof method for a year and a half with cold showers and cold baths because while I'm in the cold shower, all anxiety just yeah. goes out the window and I'm just thinking I just can't wait to get out of this. <laughs> with the transition or in the addition of be writing for Cosmo, when people mm-hmm. are reading your column or your tips, why do they feel that you are an expert in that because a lot of people can say that they're an expert in this or expert in that, but when someone's coming to you, what kind of advice are you giving the public? I'm I'm giving sex tip positions in public. (laughs) So um, from the point of view as a romance author, so if you want sex as good as a romance novel, (laughs) this is my tip. So that's the, the, the point of view I'm going for. And sometimes some sex positions I'm asked to provide a comment for. I've never, I've never even heard of it when I, when I first um, read about it. So I've been asked about the pinball wizard position or the leapfrog and Google was like an eye opening experience. And some of these positions, it defies all gravity. And it, even something like um, the Eiffel Tower position, it, it makes me sound innocent, but I, I had no idea what that even was. <laughs> How did you get involved with Cosmo? Was it some, like, did they reach out to you? Did you reach out to them? Like, yeah, I, I pitched it. I pitched it to them um, as a romance author point of view for like the swoon worthy or or either the dirty erotic type position. Do you feel that it's kind of, and we talked about how you were shy, it's kind of really opened you up. Like it kind of showcases a more of a different personality and kind of puts you out there a little bit more. It it does. And, um, and being an author, you do have to work on your own book marketing as well. And so it, it has encouraged me to put myself more out there um, with the media and also with readers. And it, it, regardless of if you're with a big five publisher or with um, a smaller publisher or self-published, most publishers or self-published authors need to promote themselves um, and market their books and I found that my niche is sort of like I've been on the cover of a few magazines with um, talking about my books and um, and about sexual wellness and mental health and 
you don't really see an author on the cover of magazines or inside magazines because there's that stereotype that especially romance authors they're frumpy middle-aged desperate housewives and and I, I just sort of think that if actors or singers um and hosts can be on the cover of Mac or rock and roll yeah. on the cover of magazines authors can too <laughs> is do you wish that you started out writing when you were going to uni and like kind of taking more classes and like writing mm-hmm. and things like that or do you feel that the path you took with going to the bank or working in that kind of industry at first and get then getting into the creative short writing this was the path that was correct and you made the decision or how do you view that it's kind of like a what if situation or looking back yeah yeah well in hindsight I should have done if I was still going to do commerce for that fall back on more realistic career path I should have done commerce and a creative writing double degree um arts I was doing subjects like philosophy which like I don't <laughs> yeah. even use now so um I I should uh, looking back at it I should have been more in charge of my life and my career I was just a bit lost at the time and had no idea what I was doing is there ever been a genre the kind of a fun question a genre of writing that you kind of maybe will get into or do you feel you're only going to stay in the erotic fiction or the erotic novels sector um yeah, well, the first creative writing course I did was for children's because I thought like it would be pretty cool to potentially write the first book that a child would read and maybe it'll stick with them for a long time. So I'm actually writing on a young adult novel. So it's got Asian mythology. Uh, it's the main character, 16 years old. And yeah, and, and I do love writing for the younger audience as well. Do you think that's hard for, and this is almost like a branding question, when someone looks up you as a writer and you're doing erotic, but then young adults, do you ever get clashes between the two? Like, okay, how does she can do that and that because it's two completely different audience? Yeah. Um, yeah. So most authors, if they're writing for two completely different audience, unless you're a big name like JK Rowling or <laughs> something like that, um, they usually have two different names. So like say one oh, for the yeah. children's and one for the more adult stuff, just in case like say the children or the kids that reads their work, they look up at what their other works are and then they're just reading sex. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I didn't even think about that at the time, but it totally makes sense because it's like, you wouldn't want a kid to search you and it's like, oh, mom, I need to read this book. And then the parent finds out uh, you are not going to read that book at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So it, when I do get that young adult book published, I will be going by a different name because young adult is also a, a passion of writing for me. So I would be planning on writing more young adult books. So it won't just be a once off. With being a mental health advocate, what's the biggest thing you're sharing to listeners or to people that you have gone through to help them in their journey with mental health? Um, I've tried to share things that's more tangible tips that's actually helped me. So I find that um, if people just in the past have told me generic advice, say, 
no worries or no stress. I was thinking, well, that doesn't help me at the moment. <laughs> like it doesn't stop, stop my mind from spiraling. So I usually tell the more tangible tips that's helped me, um, like the cold showers, mm-hmm. also hard, vigorous exercise, because say if I'm like running really fast, I'm just thinking at the time, I'm, I'm gasping for air. I need air. When is this over? And so, we've, so I think with what's helped me, it's more challenging myself physically, um, because that's that builds mental resilience. Challenging myself physically, whether exercise or the cold water, or also um, when I started. Um, so about a year and a half ago, I was in a dark place where I was taking Valium a lot um, every day to um, get through the day. And um, my brother, who who's works in the health profession, said, you need, it, you need to do things to snap you out of it. So do something that will challenge your body. And then you'll also challenge your mind because a lot of it, like the cold showers, mm-hmm. it, it won't kill you doing a cold shower for five minutes, but it's more about building that mental resilience um to be able to do that and part of that is i i did also start fasting for about 20 hours multiple times a week or sometimes i do 24 hour fast or less and and that's also about the mental resilience and challenging your mind that it, it won't kill me not to eat for 20 hours but it's more in the mind that i i need to do i i, I i'm craving everything at the moment with the valium was this part of an addiction that came the results of it or it was just not a full-on addiction but it was just a bigger usage that was being taken um I, I wasn't addicted to it but I was taking more than what I was told to by the doctor um so I I found when I'm when I was feeling good um like so I was taking it most days but on some days where I I wasn't feeling as bad I found that i I could resist taking it. And when I started doing the cold showers, I completely almost stopped taking it um, straight away. So it wasn't exactly addiction, but I I was taking more than the prescribed um, recommended amount. Looking at your journey, if you described yourself in one word, how would you describe yourself and your journey that you've been on? Uh it's hard to think of one word um or a few words that you might have yeah um I I would say ups and downs like that that's that's life with a lot of people um yeah so there's been a lot of ups and downs I've been trying to practice more gratitude just so that I'm grateful for what I have right now and for anything else it's a it's a bonus um yeah so yeah there's been lots of ups and downs um some external factors can happen and sort of like throws you off but yeah I'm still grateful for for the things I have something that our listeners like to do is learn even more about our guests what's something you like to do outside of working writing that people maybe don't know about you um oh there's there's a lot of weird things about me I I can (laughs) I can eat like a whole wagon wheel of cheese in one sitting. That, oh, that's I, a hobby. That That's fun. I mean, that is not weird because I would do the same thing. My family would, they would buy me and I'd probably have it done in one sitting also. Yeah, like I, I do it in one sitting and I can eat a tub <laughs> of ice cream in one sitting. Um, 
I have a dog named Groot. He he um he's a Maltese Shih Tzu. He's very spoilt. <laughs> I have to cook for him every day. Um, he, he likes his steaks medium rare from the butcher. <laughs> it's well done. He, he doesn't eat it. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge? Um, I guess to have self-awareness of of themselves. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times I do have a lack of self-awareness. Like I do know myself in a lot of ways, but um even now sometimes there's some aspects of me that doesn't have that self-awareness and I do attract toxic type friendships or relationships and um so it, it is all about that self-awareness. Like I had to think about what I'm getting out of those relationships and 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 why I'm doing it and and, and it is all about that self awareness that um that sometimes me or even other people prefer to believe the easy lie over the hard truths so yeah so I guess self awareness is the thing that I would get people to do for to rise to the challenge. Well, Liv, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people, and we are excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you. Thank you so much for the chat. I really loved it. Tune in next time here. My next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel through the full length episode and video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.